time you dress so fine Through the bumps of dime in your prime Then you People call, say beware doll You're bound to fall, you thought they were all I'm kidding you Welcome, this is Michael Wolkoff, and this is episode 133 of Corruption, Chronic Compliance. Our episode today is part of a two-part uh, series on COVID-19. Uh, first episode here, we're going to look at uh, congressional action, uh, the absence of a federal uh, meaningful role, and business ethics in the time of the pandemic. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining me today on Corruption, Chronic Compliance. Before we get started, a word from our sponsor, Euro Van Dyke, a Moody's Analytics Company. Today's podcast episode of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance is sponsored by Bureau Van Dyke, a Moody's Analytics Company. With information on more than 360 million companies, Bureau Van Dyke is the resource for company data, and they make it simple to compare companies internationally. Their flagship product, Orbis, is used to find, analyze, and compare companies worldwide for better decision-making and increased efficiency. Bureau Van Dyke recently announced its new Compliance Catalyst, which is a data-driven decision engine and risk management platform. Powered by Orbis, new Compliance Catalyst is a game-changer because nothing else combines data, technology, and people power into a single platform. Compliance Catalyst can streamline your KYC, AML, and anti-corruption research and make your client onboarding and customer due diligence process more reliable and efficient. Compliance Catalyst offers several unique advantages, including an integrated platform that combines your data, entity data from Bureau Van Dyke, and flexible due diligence screening, automated and enhanced, instant risk preview, and screening against watch lists and adverse media in seconds, customized dashboard, risk profiles and thresholds, screening and monitoring settings. As part of the Compliance Catalyst platform, several effective modules are provided, including AI-powered adverse media searches and reviews, shareholder power analyses, entity verification and resolution, and integrated enhanced due diligence services. If interested in a demo of the new Compliance Catalyst platform, please contact Bureau Van Dyke at americas at vdinfo.com or call 1-212-797-3550. Well, let me say to everybody and all, all listeners and subscribers, this is a difficult time. And uh, we all know that, uh, and it's really hard to witness all the suffering, uh, the need for help, the need for a sort of coordinated federal response, which I'm going to get to in a minute. But uh, I wish everybody uh, that they're safe, healthy, and that their families are safe and healthy. Uh, and uh, we look forward to the time when we can get through this. Uh, and then hopefully address some of the issues that have been uh, underscored. At the outset, let me just say that watching this and, you know, being a lover of history, it is really hard to watch the federal government not play the proper role that it should in protecting our national security and our national welfare. 
Let me start off with just a few quotes uh, and bipartisan quotes. The few, uh, this is from President Ronald Reagan. The future doesn't belong to the faint-hearted, it belongs to the brave. Uh, President Franklin D. Roosevelt. Confidence thrives on honesty, on honor, on the sacredness of obligations, on faithful protection, and on unselfish performance. Without them, it cannot live. And finally, from President John F. Kennedy, there are risks and costs to action, but they are far less than the long-range risks of comfortable inaction. And our history is rich with important moments of leadership when we faced enemy attacks, economic crises like the Depression, social upheaval like the Civil Rights Movement, and even a civil war internally. We need leadership from our president and our federal government. Instead of appearing for self-congratulatory press conferences and pushing responsibilities to state and local governments, the White House needs to direct a federally supported response effort. It's been woefully inadequate up to date. Our economy has grinded to a stop. The stock market is falling. Employees are working from home and many, many others are not working at all. Our healthcare system is uh, undergoing incredible challenges. This is when leadership is desperately needed for a comprehensive response to this crisis. There's no excuse for our government's failure to provide or order the manufacture and distribution of testing kits, medical equipment, and ventilators. The response so far is too little too late. All advanced warnings of the pandemic and the resulting crisis were known well in advance. Businesses have now shut down, employees have lost jobs and income, other employees are continuing to work from home, schools have closed for nearly 40 million children. We're heading to a deep recession and the stock market continues to fall, but no one knows for how long or when we can expect some relief. But most importantly, in this difficult time, there's no federal response to coordinate the delivery of health care to the projected large number of sick patients. We are hitting, and about to hit even more so, a healthcare tsunami. Hospital bed space, ventilators, and other items needed to ensure adequate health care are going to run out. Rather than having states compete against each other, or companies compete against each other in the marketplace for certain equipment, we need to have a coordinated strategic approach from the federal government. This will go down in history as one of the sorest experiences, sorriest experiences in terms of federal leadership in responding to a national crisis. Leadership is desperately needed from our federal government, our state and local governments, our businesses and community organizations. We need honesty, scientific information, likely outcomes and measures we can all take to mitigate the spread of the coronavirus and to provide medical care to those who become ill. Many of the state governors are providing important leadership, but state-by-state -state efforts are inevitably inefficient when it comes to a comprehensive, coordinated federal solution. We've been down this road before. It was called the Articles of Confederation and was found to be a failed experiment. Our current Constitution is built on a fundamental premise. The federal government is responsible for protecting our country. The current pandemic is a threat to our collective welfare, we need a federal response, and we need a comprehensive one and a strategic one, and we need it now. 
In the face of this crisis, we're witnessing a paralyzed federal government that is not taking responsibility for our country's welfare. We need leadership, and we need it now. Well, Congress, uh, as we know, on Friday uh, enacted the largest uh, economic stimulus bill in history, totaling approximately $2 trillion to protect U.S. families and businesses from massive economic damage resulting from the COVID-19 pandemic. The package includes $454 billion in loans and guarantees to businesses, uh, primarily going a lot of it through the Federal Reserve loan programs, $349 billion in small business loans, $32 billion in loans and guarantees to airlines and air cargo companies, $301 billion in direct aid to households, $250 billion in direct aid to state unemployment insurance, $221 billion in tax deferrals and extended, extended deadlines, $29 billion in direct payments to airlines and air cargo companies, $150 billion in direct aid to states, $117 billion to hospitals and veterans care, and $25 billion uh, for public transit systems. The bill expands unemployment insurance to cover freelance, gig workers, and support state unemployment funds. Americans will receive checks of $1,200 with adjusted gross income up to $75,000 for an individual and $150,000 for married couples, along with $500 for each child. With respect to the $500 billion in corporate aid, which will be used to support and extend Federal Reserve loans, the new law placed controls on the money by creating uh, a new special in, uh, inspector general and an oversight board to monitor the aid. Uh, this was a new inspector general and oversight board created specifically to oversee the aid from this stimulus act. The corporate aid includes $17 billion for assistance to companies crucial to national security. Air, cargo, air carriers and cargo companies will receive grants of $25 billion and $4 billion, respectively. For health care providers, $100 billion will be made available through a new grant program and an additional $16 billion for stockpiling medical equipment. The new law expands telehealth capabilities and uh, relaxes regulations surrounding that, increases Medicare reimbursement for doctors and hospitals, and delays Medicaid cuts to hospitals. Democrats insisted on a provision that bans any business owned uh, benefiting under this act by President Trump, the vice president, members of Congress, and heads of executive departments, so they are ineligible from receiving any funds or loans from the stimulus bill. The legislation specifically addresses risks of fraud, waste, and abuse. Section 4018 creates a special inspector general, which I mentioned for pandemic recovery for five years and gives the Special Inspector General authority to conduct audits and investigation relate, investigations relating to loans, loan guarantees, and other investments made by the Treasury Department and the overall management of the pandemic uh, recovery. The Special Inspe Inspector General shall have the authority to request information and, if needed, to subpoena such information. To add to the oversight process, the CARES Act creates a congressional oversight uh, commission to focus on Treasury Department and Federal Reserve activities related to the pandemic recovery. In particular, the Oversight Commission is required to focus on the effectiveness of the Treasury Department and Federal Reserve loans, loan guarantees, in, and investments 
in stabilizing the United States economy. The CARES Act also involves a large amount of money, and as usual, when such money is made available, there are significant risks of fraud and misuse of government funds. While not creating uh, any new uh, criminal offenses, uh, the act refers specifically to several existing criminal offenses, for example, for the making of false statements uh, to a government agency uh, in connection with uh, any of these programs. But the uh, Special Inspector General and the Congressional Oversight Commission have broad charges. Uh, there will, they will be active with responsibility to uncover fraud, waste, and abuse relating to the CARES Act. So it's important if you're going to seek benefits under the CARES Act, particularly a business, that you uh, be careful and take great care in terms of uh, preparing materials and making sure that you uh, are completely accurate uh, and truthful in all of your representations to the government. Congress before this, before this stimulus, uh, had enacted the Families First Coronavirus, Coronavirus Response Act, or FFCRA, which included a number of important changes impacting employees and employment law. Given the disastrous impact of the pandemic on the workplace, businesses that are still operating have to adhere to health and safety requirements. Uh, OSHA issued guidelines requiring companies uh, to sanitize the workplace and require employees to use protective equipment. OSHA released this uh, guidance on COVID-19 and it underscores the business's obligation to prevent employees who have the virus from spreading the virus. Businesses have to implement procedures to identify employees who may be infected and ensure they are isolated to protect other employees from the virus. OSHA also prohibits businesses from requiring employees to travel unless absolutely essential when such travel may cause an illness. Airports and train stations obviously are high-risk locations and travel involving air or trains should be avoided unless absolutely necessary. Companies have to demonstrate sensitivity to privacy issues at the same time. Businesses have an obligation to maintain a safe workplace, but if a business owner or manager learns that an employee has the virus, the business owners have to act to protect other employees without unfairly and inappropriately identifying the employee that may have the virus to protect their privacy uh, interests. The FFCRA also amended the Federal Medical Leave Act and Related Emergency Expansion Act. The changes apply to all companies and applies to all employees who have worked for an employer for at least 30 days. Any employee who is subject to a government isolation order or has to care for a minor, minor child due to the closing of a school or has the virus, symptoms of the virus, or has been exposed to the virus qualifies for paid leave under the Expansion Act. This act will continue in effect until December 31st, 2020. Employers are required to pay any employee who needs to take more than 10 days sick leave at least two-thirds of their regular pay for as much as 80 hours of leave. Employees may substitute other paid leave for any leave under the identified qualifying events. Businesses are also required to to provide paid leaves after the initial 10-day period, at least at that two-thirds rate, up to an aggregate, however, of $10,000. Full-time employees are entitled to 80 hours of paid sick leave.
To offset the increased paid leave expenses, the FFCRA provides a tax credit equal to 100% of the qualified sick leave wages. If the credit exceeds the tax payment, such overpayment will be credited and refunded to the business. Finally, each employer now must post a notice of the FFCRA requirements in a conspicuous place on its premises. This requirement may be satisfied by emailing or direct mailing the notice to employees or posting this notice on an internal or ex external website. The FFCRA applies as of March 25, 2020 only to current employees and does not apply to future employees or job applicants after that date. Finally, let's talk about business decision-making uh, and, uh, and the need and perhaps the imperative during this pandemic crisis for companies to elevate or even adhere even more strongly to uh, ethical principles and ethical business decisions. These are definitely scary times. We've not experienced such a crisis in our lifetimes. 9-11 was a traumatic event with a tragic impact on our country. But the COVID-19 crisis is presenting all of us with enormous challenges. Health and safety is our primary concern while the COVID-19 virus spreads. Our economy is being devastated by the need to ensure health and safety of our people. Our healthcare system, however, is about to be tested beyond anything imaginable as the number of patients and need for supplies increases exponentially. It is a very anxious time for everyone, and eventually we will look back on this time for better understanding of how we got here and how we handled this time of crisis. Companies have to assess, though, during this crisis, important stakeholder interests. Remember that we always try to take a look at all of our stakeholders as part of an ethical decision-making framework. Employees, shareholders, communities, and our government Businesses have to lead from the top. This is an important moment for business leaders to navigate the crisis and bring their companies through to a recovery. Ethical business decision-making is critical for businesses, especially now in this, in this crisis. Ethics is not less important. Rather, ethics is even more important because of the difficult problems and trade-offs that businesses may be facing. Many businesses have closed their offices and mandated that employees work from home. To the extent that businesses are able to continue to generate revenue from such activities, businesses are doing so. Manufacturing companies, as it, uh, on the other hand, are being forced to shut down because of the dangerous proximity among workers who could end up infecting each other. The auto industry, for example, has closed their manufacturing facilities because of this reason. Service industries like airlines, hotels, bars, restaurants are suffering the repercussions from an economic slowdown. Employees from major hotels and airlines are being furloughed. Restaurant and bars have been forced to shut down and employees have been terminated. Unemployment claims are skyrocketing. But again, going back to the ethical decision framework, businesses have to address uh, important stakeholder interests but first, at the top of that list, is an overarching concern for health and safety. And that makes sense. Companies have reinforced the need to stay at home by ordering work-at-home solution, solutions. Further, companies have taken aggressive steps from, to prevent employees from coming to the office and from gathering. These drastic measures are needed to 
uh, mitigate health risks. Secondary stakeholder interests focus on economic consequences, maintaining pay for certain employees even though they cannot work, facilitating work from home arrangements, and continuing work to the extent possible to keep the company partially operating, and ensuring that furloughed workers still have access to health insurance. Companies involved in the production of healthcare supplies face even more difficult choices. Their products may be essential to the treatment uh, and response to the pandemic. Their supplies may be critical. They will be. They need to find a way to produce these products given the great demand for them. So companies also then have to weigh the needs of the community in which they operate. This is a classic situation where ethical business decisions cannot be made in a vacuum but require broader considerations relating to the health and safety of the community and the economic survival of employees, families, and communities. As a final stakeholder to consider, businesses have to weigh the impact of all of this on the federal, state, and local governments. This is where businesses can partner, reach out, and coordinate with government entities, governmental entities, to advance significant health and safety, obtain economic support, but also respond to community needs. Ethical business decisions are important at all times, but when facing this real public health crisis, ethical considerations provide important guideposts to facilitate effective decision-making, particularly in relation to key stakeholders and the health and safety of all of our, of all of our people. Well, that's the end of, uh, this is part one. We're gonna take up part two, which is focused more on business responses, uh, building on some of the more specific issues that we're seeing uh, in the economy right now. Thanks again for listening to Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Please subscribe to the podcast series. The Volkoff Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. We can help you achieve the benefits of an effective ethics and compliance program. Check us out at our website, www.volkofflaw.com, our award-winning blog, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, and, of course, our podcast series. You can always contact me at my email address, mvolkofflaw.com, and let us know how we can help you. But you know you only used to get juiced in it Nobody's ever taught you how to live out on the street And now you're gonna have to get used to it You say you never compromise With a mystery tramp But now you realize He's not selling it 
the vacuum of his eyes and say, do you want to make a deal? Secrets to come. 